continuing with our series about the questions that Jesus Christ asked. And these are questions that you can journal and you can pray into. And of course, Jesus, the great questioner. And often we think it's Socrates or we think that it is Plato. And Aristotle, the other great questioners of the ancient world. But actually, when you read the Gospels, you discover that Jesus asked 308 questions. He was a great questioner. And that's why it's so important that when we're in prayer, we question and ask God what is happening in our lives. And he often questions us. And when you're journaling and you're praying and you're saying to the Lord, what is going on? And you ask the Lord questions. This is in the very nature of the Gospels where where the Lord comes and asks people. Where the Lord comes and speaks to people. We've talked about, about the sense of belonging and longing and who we are. And asking the question, well, who really are you? Who and what are you looking for within your life? And often that's something that we have to dig into and say, what is my role? Who and what and how does Jesus Christ want to use me in my life? We've looked then, of course, at the whole area of, um, of doubt. And Pastor Jordan spoke about doubt and about reason. And I want to encourage you that if you were in that place of doubt and reason, that's a good place to seek the Lord and ask the Lord questions. Get people around you, pray with people, journal it, read scriptures about your battles that are going on in your life and allow the Lord to lead you through those tough times. Because believe me, there are many moments in life when we say, why Lord is this happening? Why Lord is this taking place? Last night, um, I led a funeral and in the funeral... um, uh, well, it wasn't really a funeral because the funeral's on Wednesday and many of you would have read the story of Noel Teal who um, was part of our church, attended here for a year and was sadly uh, died on her motorbike uh, on West Bank Road. And that was affected so many of our young adults. And there must have been over 120 here last night and uh, telling stories and talking about a life that blazed for Jesus and in a moment was taken from us. And there are questions. And I want to say to you as a church family, sometimes we can miss this, but the depth and beauty of our young adults and their spiritual depth, I saw that last night in in a different and most profound way. And as we were praying early this morning and interceding, we were praying that, that the enemy wouldn't use this to, to, to undermine young people's faith as they question, well, how can God be good when this has happened? And these were the gra- questions that we, we grapple with. But often what we need to do is come to the Lord and seek the Lord and ask the Lord for wisdom and insight of what is happening It is the voice of Jesus that guides us through the hardest and the most difficult times. Well, I want to talk to you about identity. What is your name? What's in a name? I want to tell you about uh, three main stories that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to circle around and maybe start here with the story of Jacob wrestling with God. You know that story. Jacob is a miserable individual. 
you don't want him as a relative of yours. Because he's a little liar, he's a cheat, he's a spin doctor. He'd make a brilliant British Prime Minister. He'd amazing. He is, uh, you know, you think he's down and he's back again. And suddenly he's come. And uh, I better be careful because we're online as we're always careful. Because we don't get political here, good Mennonites. Uh, but... But there is that battle, and he's, 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 he's that individual. He's, he's like, you don't want to be his business partner. Because one minute he's gorgeous with what he says, the next minute he turns and he looks at you and goes, ah. And of course, he gets himself into a complete mess with his brother Esau and all the problems and the difficulties. And one day he goes down to the river in Genesis there in 32, and there he meets somebody at Penel, and there he starts to wrestle, and he starts to fight, and he starts to, 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 to battle, and what is happening, he's, he's losing his old identity, and he's gaining his new identity. He's going from a single, jealous, greedy, lying man to becoming a mighty nation. But if you want to become the man or the woman that God has called you to be, then you've got to be willing to go down into the darkness, to be by the riverside, and you've got to wrestle your identity and change it and meet with the Lord and ask the Lord to change your identity. And maybe give you a new name. He said, I will not let go of you until you bless me. But before I finish off in Jacob, 30, Genesis 32, we're going to move to Luke chapter 16. And you'll find this quite an interesting parable. Because it's the parable of the beggar and the beggar who sits outside of the rich man's house. And every day the rich man goes into his house through his gate. It says he goes through a gate. The very word gate suggests that he is uber, completely and utterly rich. In fact, the parable says that he wore purple clothes. Because back then, dyed purple was the Gucci of the era. And if you wore dyed purple, amazing. Not so much these days, a little odd. Uh, but but he, he, he came and he was present and he got into his house and there was a beggar there. And this beggar was always there. And even the dogs, and it says quite descriptively, came and licked his sores. That's an important point in the story because by a dog licking you, you are unclean to go to the temple and you are unclean to be in the presence of God. So not only is he a beggar, not only is he there with sores, which makes it feel pretty horrible scene. Obviously, he smelt, he was disgusting, and the dogs came and, and there licked his sores. But every day, the rich man would come in and the rich man knew him and the rich man understood him and the rich man was there and he saw him. And of course, we have that moment where they are both now in eternity. And the rich man is condemned to darkness and to torment and to pain. And the beggar is now in the glory of God in what's called Abraham's bosom. And there in Abraham's bosom, the rich man says, you know, 
Can you, Lazarus, shouting down, can you go and tell my brothers that I've really messed up and I need to get right and go and tell them? And Abraham speaks, which is really interesting. And let me just pause. If you ever doubt the sufficiency of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, let me remind you that Jesus is telling a story and relating it to the Old Testament in the parable. And he's saying to us, you can trust the whole of the Bible. And so many people want to take away the Bible now and chop it up and just have this bit and that bit. But the the counsel of God is the whole Bible. We believe it. We read it. We live by it. We listen to God's voice through it. It inspires us. It is doctrine. And it is sufficient to bring salvation to every one of us. Sufficient in every way. And so he is there and... And he's saying, you know, and Abraham answers. He said, you, your brothers, and we're not going to send, you know, a, a, a kind of skip the dishes theological visit that pops down there and says to the brothers, get your act together because your brothers have had Moses and all the prophets and Moses and all the prophets have been present and they have not listened to them. So why would they listen to this beggar who coming to speak this story? So you've got the picture. And if you understand, there's so much in that text, but we're not going to linger right there. But what we know is that the choice you make here affects the permanent nature of your eternal. Make the right choice about eternity because it's permanent. It's forever. And the second thing we realize that ethics is about compassion. And that God looks at the rich and looks at them and wants them to be compassionate and wants them to be sensitive about the people that they meet and the people that sit outside our gates and the people that we're involved in because a true believer is somebody that is compassionate. A true believer is somebody who is sensitive. A true believer is somebody who cares about the poor and the needy. And yet somehow we all know the name of rich people, don't we? Elon Musk, we know his name and all his antics. The Rockefellers, we know their name. If I said go through, Richard Branson, we know his name. Jimmy Patterson, that's the only Canadian billionaire I can think of. And he's actually a Christian, so he's in heaven. Amen. Uh, But, and and really supports work of mission for, for decades through the Patterson organization. But we go, oh, Do you know this person? He's rich. We have our celebrities a little bit in in our own city. There's uber, super rich who live here. Now, why am I saying all of this, you're saying? And I'm also asking myself, why is there a little duck on my pulpit? Maybe it's a gift of a child for me and I I praise the Lord. Is it it yours, Ian? No, good. Um, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in a luxury every day. Lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. What is so remarkable about this parable? What is so interesting about this? How does this have to do with identity? 
This is the only parable in the New Testament at any moment where it mentions the name of somebody here. A poor guy, and he mentions the name Lazarus. Here, Jesus, teaching and ministering, breaks all the tradition for some reason of all the parables and names the person who this individual is. This beggar, this unseen person, this person of poverty, of pain, of agony, of loneliness. And he, names, he never names the rich person. He doesn't name who he is. doesn't name all about him. He just names Lazarus. And this tells me something remarkable about the character of God. That if you are the most broken, the most hurting, the most troubled individual, or if you've come here and you feel worthless, you feel like a beggar, you feel as if you've got nothing to offer, you feel as if you've not achieved, you've not been that person, and you wonder whether God knows you. Let me tell you this morning, friends, he knows you by name, and he calls you by name. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you faced. He knows the rejection with your family, the battles with your father and your mother. He knows the difficulties you've had with maybe addiction. He knows the frustration that you've had with your life and, and the disappointments. You never expected that to take place. You never expected that relationship to disintegrate. You never expected that moment to happen. But the truth of this parable is, is that the rich which man is not named, who is your name, but Lazarus is named completely because God loves the poor, God loves the needy, God came to rescue all of us beggars and give us eternal life. Both ways we look at this. Because in the story, you and I are that beggar. We've got nothing to offer. We are condemned by our sins. We are lost in our iniquities. But Christ comes and sees us in our pain and in our humiliation. We are not worthy to go into the temple. But the blood and the presence and the work of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross has enabled us to know that eternity is ours. And you will be with God for eternity. Lazarus. And I think that should encourage every one of us in two ways. Being the richest 5% of the globe at this moment here, it should encourage us to be sensitive to the needs of others. It should encourage us to always be compassionate. And it should encourage us that even though we may have wealth, God expects of the wealthy that they do not ignore the poor and the broken and the injured. That we are a people of compassion. Who are you? My name's Lazarus. Nobody knows me. But the saddest thing about the parable is that the rich man knew him, was understood him, and walked past him 
and lived with the reality of this man and basically became callous and hard and self-centered. And God looked at him and God judged him. What is your name? What's in the name? Well, a lot of us, we have associations with our names. I mean, my name's quite funny because everybody knows me as Phil Collins. And, and oh, how many Phil Collins jokes have I heard in my life? Absolutely. If I, if I, even this last week, I was in Calgary doing something. And, and at the end of it, somebody then quoted a Genesis song like it was the first time I'd ever heard it. I was like, whoa, you're funny. Inside I said that because I am not sarcastic because I went to set free and God set me free of it. But inside I'm, uh, you know, but people go, oh yeah, Phil Collins, were you named after the singer? No, I was named after my grandfather, Philip Collins, who was probably named after Prince Philip. You know, it is a, a royal name. Ha, ha, ha. But everybody goes, oh, names in, it means something. You know, there are some of you that you've got names, but you hate these names being shortened. Like if you're a Michael, maybe you hate being called Mike. Maybe if you're a Richard, you hate being called Dick. Yes, you should do. And I'm a Phil, Philip, but my shortened name is Pip. Pip. What kind of name's that? No, never call me Pip. Don't even start, okay? We have names. We have nicknames. We wonder who we are. We wonder who our identity is. If I can first of all say in this message that you, if you are lost and you are broken and you feel as if you are uh, that beggar, God knows you by name in the same way that God knows our church by name. He's walking with you. But secondly, what about your name? Well, this may interest you, but for Jesus had said, I want to take you across the Sea of Galilee now, and I want to take you to the pagan region. And Jesus got in the boat with his disciples and went across to the far side of Galilee, to the area where that wasn't part of the Jewish covenant. That was where the pagans were. And, and when he was with him there, we'll go there. Said, go home. Right, I'm not going to go to that verse. Where am I? Here we are. Ah, this is good. So, let me read this. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? What is... My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Mark. So he goes across, and I've actually stood on the historical spot where the graves were supposed to be, where there's a cliff, where the pigs, you know the story, pigs went off, and, and this man was possessed. But let's step back. You know the dramatic nature of the story. There is, there is the remains of an ancient Christian church just by the spot that you can go and stand in. It has no roof or anything. It's just the, the foundation. But it's at that spot where this story takes place. 
The story is about Jesus arrives on the other side and he arrives at a, a cemetery. And within this cemetery is a wrecked individual who is wild, he is possessed with evil, he is lost, he is in pain. And you can't but help to feel for him. Interesting note about this story is that, that this was a region where Jewish people never went. They avoided it because it was ungodly and unholy. And Jesus lands on the shore, performs a major miracle. And what he's actually saying in the scriptures is this, that there is no no-go areas for the kingdom of God. In other words, he's landing and putting notice on Satan and saying, Satan, you may have territory, but when the power of Jesus turns up, Satan has no authority in that area. And we claim that for Mike working in India. We claim that around the world where there is a dominant power, but we know that when Jesus turns up, Jesus does the most remarkable things. So he turns upon this no-go area, a place to stay away, and he sees the man who'd been in chains. He couldn't be subdued. He was possessed by so much pain, demonic, anger. How was he eating? He was probably eating, as was the ancient way, the food that was left at the graves because pagan worship would leave food at the graves to feed the spirits. And so... So he was probably eating that food. So he's eating the food left for people who left for, the, for spirits. He was wandering around a graveyard. People were frightened of him. Jesus turns up and sees a wreckage of a life. And somebody is completely broken. And he looks at him and he asks him, What is your name? The answer, of course, comes is legion. But there is another point here beyond the exegesis of the demonic and the spiritual battle that is real and exists. And the enemy wants to take us out and the spiritual realm exists. But there is here right now something fascinating about our own lives. Because sometimes Jesus says to us, What is going on inside of you? What is taking place in your life? You feel as if your life is in wreckage. You feel as if you've got conflicting forces within you. We feel as if, who am I meant to be? I'm like this, but at times I feel conflicted and I have this battle within me and I have this this agony that is present in my life. And Jesus says, what is your name? What are you all about? Who are you? And what he wants to do, and he says, legion. But people could have easily say, who are you? And you could say, loser. I am abandoned. I am an addicted to, to and an addict. Who are you? I, I suffer with, with such low self-esteem, who are you? I'm somebody. I'm somebody, but I don't know who I am. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to this. Who are you? 
And so often we allow the power of darkness and we allow the power of sin and we allow our fallen self to define who we are. But let me tell you, you are not an orphan. You are forgiven by the love of God. You and I are children of the King. Who are you? Because people have said, this is who you are. They've said, you are this. You are... are, are, uh, and they've named it, and they've spoken, and we've believed this about ourselves. For we are many. <sighs> Jesus did not let him, but said, go home. This is the end of the story. He does the exorcism, but, he, but the man says, now can I be your disciple and come with you? Can I come? Can I come? Can I come? He says, no, dear friend. I have freed you, but now go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. He is the first Gentile evangelist. He has been ravaged by a legion. Legion is 6,000, the word legion. It's in a Roman legion. He's been ravaged by what he's been ravaged by. Jesus comes to him and the wreckage of his life and gives him hope and frees him and then says, I want to send you home to your people where you can be loved, where you can be restored, where you can find hope. Because you know what? I've taken away the name Legion and I've given you a new name. I've given you a new start. I've given you a new beginning. In many ways, this man is a microcosm of the whole of creation. You see, if you look at the man, he is possessed by evil. He is ruled by his emotions. He is possessed by the demonic. He is battling in a graveyard of death. He is chained up. He is a wreckage and broken individual. And he is groaning and screaming in the graveyard. It doesn't get any worse than that. And Paul said, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Our world is groaning with pain and difficulty and evil. But it's only Jesus that comes to individuals and comes to them and says, what is your name? What is your name? Who are you? Because I want to set you free from the wreckage of your life. You say, but I find this hard to relate to because of the dramatic nature of the text. And it is dramatic. It is powerful. And it, it has so many sides to it of which I can't get into completely today. But I think C.S. Lewis got it right. He got, got what I'm trying to get at. When talking about this particular scripture, he said, his own life, Lewis, one of the greatest Christian writers of the last century, said, 
He was a zoo of lust, a bedlam of ambition, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. How many of us can relate to that honestly? The battle within us, the battle within us, the conflicted, I know I love God, but I feel like a zoo of lust. I know I love God, but I'm, I'm, I'm ravaged by ambition that I know isn't godly. I know I love the Lord, I'm trying, but I'm, my, my life nurtures fear and anxiety and worry. I've got hatred in me. And I come to church and I worship and even my hand occasionally goes up. But inside, I've got hatred. Whatever and however you name yourself, the good news is this. When you receive the kingdom of God and become a believer of Jesus, you are renamed. You are given a brand new family and your name is written in the land's book of, uh, of life. And you will never be taken away and God loves you and cares for you. So maybe what you need to remember and I is that we can be renamed we can receive. Don't be that zoo of lust. Don't live in being the ambitious one. Don't be the flirt. Don't be the gossip. Don't be the angry one. Don't be the one full of hatred. Don't be that person. Let the Lord meet with you by the river. And that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford to Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all their possessions. So Jacob was left alone. It starts with you being alone with God. In that place of intimacy, God will meet with you. It's time to get back into that place of intimacy. It's time to get back into that lonely place. And a man wrestled with him to daybreak. When we're in the place of prayer, when we are there, we wrestle with ourselves. And I can tell you, I have broken the lust. I have broken ambition. I have broken fears. I have broken hatreds. I have broken these things only in the inner place of prayer when you're there with God and you will not let go of God until he blesses you. Even if I walk away from that wrestle with a limp because every man of God, every woman of God has experienced pain and has experienced a limping. And you know a man of God, you know a woman of God when they walk with a limp. You may not see it, but they've been through it. And when the man saw that he could not, could not overpower him, he touched his socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. This is painful stuff. Aren't you glad you came to church? But sometimes we need the wrenching of the old self out. And as he wrestled with the man, the man said, let me go 
for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, stealer, deceiver, swindler, spin doctor. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Every one of you struggle with man. You struggle with heaven, but you can overcome that problem and you can have a new name and you can be free and you can know that relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. If you want prayer, we're here. I'm going to invite the elders to come and pastors and prayer people. But if you're in that battle by the water, know that God wants to meet with you. Ultimately, the greatest battle was won on the cross that enables us to come into relationship with God. So Father, right now, come Holy Spirit. And in the final moments, you know, I'd love, so let me pause at this moment. I'd love to pray for you as every head's bowed. If you've been in a battle and you know that you want to step into like a new name, I will not let you go, God, until you bless me. You know you need a bit of blessing in your life. If that is you right now, just raise your hand and put it down for a moment. Yeah? So many of us. Just raise your hand. Let me see. Father, I pray for every one of us. And thank you for those that have raised their hand and those that are battling right now. And I pray that we will discover our true identity. We will know that we are beggars saved by grace. We will know that we've been in the graveyards of, of humanity, but you have come and you have freed us and you've given us a new name and that we may know, like Jacob, the blessing of God on our lives and that the past does not define the future and that you change us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Meet with us now in our final song and minister to us, I pray.